welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I'm bringing you Dr. Bill DePasso, who's from a company called Twistle. And they have a really unique solution that's just incredibly timely right now. So I'm pleased to introduce you to the chief medical officer. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, before we get started, I wondered if I could just give a shout out to all those people like you and your fellow CMIOs who are out on the front line battling COVID. Uh, Kudos, respect, thanks. Much appreciated. I know that there are many CMIOs burning the midnight oil here, uh, trying to either get prepared or deal with the onslaught. So much appreciate that. So I first heard about Twistle from a colleague who was recording on CMIO podcast, and that is uh, Brett Daniel. And he would mention that he was a user of this. And I was like, what in the world is Twistle? So I needed to go find out, and I was intrigued by it. So I was wondering, before we get too much into the solution, um, really tell us a little bit about you, how you got to where you are today and what that journey has been like. Well, sure, sure. Well, I actually started out my career in, in public health. I used to work for the Chicago Department of Health, but after a stint there, decided to get back into clinical medicine and trained in pulmonary critical care and sleep and, and practiced that for almost uh, 30 years. But Along the way, I had a number of administrative roles in a variety of settings. And in the last part of my career in those roles, I worked as part of a sort of a health policy think tank at Virginia Mason, where we were um, deeply involved and I was deeply involved in the Toyota production system of lean management as it applied to healthcare. Um, So very interested in process and improving healthcare delivery. So during that time, I met Kulmeet Singh, who is the CEO and founder of Twistle. And we used to chat about how do we make the the world of healthcare better using technology or however. And they had come up with this solution about improving communication between provider and patient. So in 2015, when I decided to retire from my clinical practice, I came on as a part-time CMO slash advisor to the company. And I was very involved in developing the product and moving it forward. And then in last year, about a year ago, I came on full time and I was actually going to retire a couple of weeks ago. But when COVID hit my genes to help out in a tough situation came back and I said, no, I won't retire. I'll help out with help out with COVID. So so here I am in the thick of it. Fantastic. I'm sure they're glad to have you continue on. Not now is not the time for such transitions, but tell me. How does this product, Twistle, help in the coronavirus crisis? Well, for the first time in my career, there's an alignment of incentives around the face-to-face visit, right? I mean, docs have always wanted patients to come in and see them because that's how they got paid. But patients Mm -hmm. never wanted to come in because it was inconvenient. But this is the first time ever that uh, doctors don't want to see patients because of risk of infection and patients don't want to see doctors because of risk of infection. Mm-hmm. And so our solution is a asynchronous communication tool that is all about the patient facing side of care, extending the visit 
beyond the walls of the clinic and the hospitals. It's so timely. And so we've found in a very rapid uptake, this tool as a remote monitoring tool. So I think that's why it's been taken up. Now, we had the fortuitous, well, the fortune, I should say, to be involved in this type of thing very early. We had a client who was a tier one special pathogens hospital during the Ebola scare. And so they worked with us to develop a tool to have healthcare workers who were potentially exposed to the Ebola virus monitor themselves at, at home for symptoms. And fortunately, that never came to be used. But this health system immediately saw the application to COVID. So very early in this, in fact, in February, we worked with them to develop a healthcare, exposed healthcare worker uh, monitoring tool, which they quickly employed and, and started using. So we had very initial early experience with that. Our company is also partially based in Seattle, which is where I am. We have sort of a network and the Swedish hospital in Seattle at the epicenter was experiencing a surge of COVID suspected or positive patients coming into their ER. They needed to monitor patients that they couldn't admit to the hospital. So we worked with them and literally over 48 hours put into place a uh, monitoring tool that allowed an ED doc who didn't feel a COVID positive patient needed to be admitted, but still needed to be monitored, to be placed on this tool, this home monitoring tool. And they were sent home with an oximeter, a thermometer, and we started using Twistle to text them three times a day to monitor their symptoms. And very rapidly gained experience that we've been able to distribute to our other uh, customers and work with them to similar monitoring uh, solutions around the country. As of yesterday, we've already monitored close to 7,000 patients who were either COVID positive or suspected of having COVID. And we're just uh, scaling this up rapidly. The, the tool is simple to uh, deploy, easy to use, and we have had a lot of success with that. So for larger organizations that have, let's say, hundreds of patients that they're following at a time because they're in the middle of the thick of it here, is there a way to quickly understand who has responded in a negative fashion, in a bad way, saying something's going on quickly and easily, or is it someone just looking through spreadsheets trying to figure out where the problem lies? Yeah, that's a great, great question. We are believers in force multiplying a care team by taking off their plate all the patients who are being monitored who don't need to have an interaction with a, with a provider or a care team or, or, or a nurse or whatever. And so the tool is designed to send through text messages forms that the patient fills out based on their temperature, their symptoms, and they write in their oximetry data that automatically gets sent to the patient. The form is scored automatically in the back engine and then only patients who fall outside of the safe parameters are alerted to the care team through a message, which also then shows up on a dashboard. So they are able to look at a dashboard that gives the status of all the patients across the system, but they really only interact with the small group of patients who fall out of the safe parameters, if I could say it that way. That's a great and solution. Because yep. staff are short. I mean, we're yep. scrounging around for people right now and making this easier for the population health nurses is a phenomenal idea. I really like that. At Swedish, which by the way is where, where Brett is, 
right. is the care team has scaled up such that the initial ratio was one nurse, 15 patients by phone. They are now over uh, one to a hundred. And this mm -hmm. literally happened over one week. They were able to do that. And what we're doing is we're tweaking the scoring algorithm. So again, they're, they're fine tuning that. So they're actually only really interacting with the patients who need it. Interestingly enough, one of the things we care a lot about at Twistle is how patients feel and what they worry about and all those things that us doctors just kind of forget. And so peppered in all these messaging is a lot of language that has empathy and caring and those kinds of things, which is really met with great satisfaction by their patient population as well. So this solution was around long before coronavirus became a thing. What were the original use cases? What was the original thought of how this would be used? Where's it been successful? How's it going? Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a fun history. Well, the company was formed in 2011 with the idea that asynchronous communication through a texting-like platform or app would be great for value-based care. And just there wasn't a good product market fit. They were working with primary care docs and concierge docs, and there just wasn't a big market. And so with continued innovation, they developed this you know, an, an automation piece to the platform in which not only could there be asynchronous communication, but there'd be automated responses and forms, et cetera. And it turned out to be a, a college roommate who was a surgeon who saw this and immediately figured out its value in pre and post-op messaging to enhance his ERAS program. So we literally started out in colorectal surgery and gained a lot of traction there. But because the platform is just so configurable, it's agnostic to any clinical specialty, we were fairly rapidly able to scale up in pretty much any pre and post surgical episode of care. And so most of our early experience, and, and actually to this date, again, the large numbers of what we've been able to do has been in that pre-post and perioperative space. Now, in the interim, and this has been one of my roles as, as an internist, is to expand beyond that. So in the last few years, we're getting into post-discharge heart failure, COPD, asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, a variety of non-surgical situations. In the surgical space, it's been highly successful because the ROI demonstrated by reduced readmissions to either the ER or the hospital after surgery and uh, a market reduction in cancellations, no-shows, and that sort of thing has demonstrated a significantly positive ROI for most of our customers. So we're slowly gaining traction across the clinical spectrum. Is it just text message? Some of my patients occasionally, they don't have smartphones. What are my options in terms of communicating with patients? Yeah, no, great. You know, we started out with an app-based solution mm -hmm. and we have a great app and we're continuing to improve it. And there are use cases in which that's appropriate. But for most patients, downloading an app is just it's cumbersome, it's difficult, and the biggest problem is people forget their passwords. And it also obviously requires a, a smartphone. So we've just expanded to the fact that we, we can basically deliver the content of our platform onto any place so that we can do IVR with it. We can do open SMS, we can do secure SMS, which by the way is our preferred method. It can be mobile web, it can be computer-based. So we believe in trying to reach the patient where they live, so to speak, in their day-to-day. -day. 
interestingly enough, a, a, a huge number of people have smartphones now. And so it's become almost the exception to the, the rule. That's a problem. We have almost 50% adoption among 85-year-old grandparents using this because it's such a simple interface. We are, as I mentioned, our most common mode of communication is through something I'll call secure SMS. A message is sent to the patient with a brief message that has a little to no personal health information in it. It has a link to a mobile uh, web browser. It brings them into our ecosystem and takes them in a, through a secure path all the way through that. Our adoption at the patient level by converting from app to uh, secure SMS, we've gone from 30% engagement and adoption all the way up to over 85% on average, which has been impressive. So it's been well received. We're going to talk more about adoption here in just a second, but I know health systems like to have their patients in their portals for whatever the reason they're very attached to their portals i guess they spent yeah. years developing yeah. these things so how does that work and does that just add a layer of complication on top of this because i know there are solutions for instance we have epic that we could send out a my chart message to the patient and get that my chart message back but it's a clunky interface. It takes a yeah. lot for the patient to get into the right point to enter in that information and then to get it back is a manual process then for someone reviewing all of these. So what about the portal? Yeah, no, it's a problem. And just a quick anecdote, the reason we got involved with Swedish over COVID was they immediately rolled out this plan through Epic's MyChart and only had 10% adoption. They knew it wasn't working, so they had already been working with us and other use cases. So they quickly scaled to this, and they are over 90% within a day or two of starting. So you've highlighted all the problems. Most of the health systems we've worked with have understood this as a problem and are looking for a solution for this particular types of cases, and that's different than the portal. We do, however, as you've mentioned, have institutions that are wed to it. And we have no problem with that. We are happy to be middleware between the provider and their portal. So in one very large health system in Texas, all of our messaging actually is delivered through the Epic portal. Unfortunately, they're learning the lesson of low adoption based on that, but we're happy to do that. We're happy to white label that content in any way that makes sense for our client. So it's very adaptable uh, that way. So let's talk about adoption. First, let's talk about doctors adopting it, because I imagine they're the ones who are initiating this process, unless it's done centrally. Tell us about how th that piece works. Sure. It's obviously critical. And UCMIOs live in that world of getting us to learn new things and, and use new technologies. In our ideal scenario, a provider would have no idea Twistle even exists, right? And slowly we're moving in this direction. What do I mean by that? Well, our platform is perfectly capable of taking data feeds out of pop health systems, CRMs, even EHR set up to do this, or scheduling systems that basically trigger the initiation of one of these, we call them workflows, that send the automated series of, of uh, messages and forms to the patient. 
So in some cases, nobody knows it happened. There's a, in fact, we have one of these implementations with COVID. A patient is COVID positive, leaves the ER. Nobody touches the platform. The data feed automatically kicks off the workflow that sets in place the monitoring. And the patients are all welcome, so to speak, through the messaging. In other cases, and this is probably the most common integration with the EHR, is it's an order. So the doc order surgery in the order set is an order that initiates a Twistle workflow for um, pre-op and post-op messaging. And so more and more and more, this is what our clients want and need. The alerts and messages uh, come back into the Epic or Cerner inboxes. And so nobody on the staff need, need to interact directly with Twistle. Now, having said that, we also are a perfect standalone solution as well. It's perfectly acceptable and relatively easy to, to operate within um, just the Twistle platform it, itself. And we have instances of that as well. Many times we start an implementation that way because integrations can be expensive and uh, lengthy, but, and then we move it we start out as freestanding and we move into an integrated uh, solution. So again, we've had a very good acceptance of our providers because first of all, they see results where there's a reduction in cancellation. They're very, very happy about that. And of course, everybody's happy about improving outcomes, which we've been able to, to demonstrate at some level. And lastly, as you've kind of alluded to, what we're finding is our enterprise partners are, they want an enterprise solution. There are thousands of disease specific apps, so to speak, out there. And uh, they want one solution that they can innovate and scale across the clinical spectrum within the institution. And that's probably our highest value prop to a large health system. As a CMIO, I know that adoption is the bane of my existence. Getting people to pick up new tools when they're already overwhelmed with their current tool set and not always happy about the current tool set, throwing something else on top of them, they're like, forget that, I'm not interested. I love the ability of taking the doctor out of the equation whenever I have that opportunity. It just, that automation, uh, either putting it to like a pre-op nurse would sound wonderful or um, a nurse in the emergency department, even better is you base it off the diagnosis. If the doctor is putting in your after visit summary that, gee, go self-isolate because we think you have COVID, that should be enough. That should trigger whatever you need. So I love the fact, it sounds like it's rule-based that you can get something to trigger off that. That's the good answer. I like that one. How about on the patient side? What factors predict success and what can organizations do? Does it take a lot of marketing to sell this thing or is it sell itself? How does that work? So in the early days, again, when we were predominantly app-based and we hadn't fine-tuned the SMS, secure SMS process, it was a little bit of a struggle. And quite honestly, there was one variable that made a difference. If the doctor was engaged in the value of the platform, they sold it to their patients. So early on, we had early adopters. We had docs who were very engaged in this, and they would spend that extra three to five minutes explaining to the patient how important it was to do this. In fact, in some cases, we we had docs, and it's all about style, who would say, I'm not going to take care of you unless you engage in my platform. 
The other thing we were, initially this was mostly in, in situations of colon cancer. So patients were highly engaged and cared a lot about getting it done right. So our engagement was actually very high quite early on. But as we expanded use cases into areas like colonoscopy and lower risk type surgical procedures, again, it was the doc's buy-in to it that had to happen. As we moved into secure SMS and it just became easier and easier for, for patients to interact with the system and the interface got better and the quality of our messaging got in, improved, it started to just sell itself. But again, the notion is the more high risk the situation, cancer, COVID, infection, that type of thing, the higher, definitely the higher the engagement, the more elective the situation, such as screening colonoscopy, the lower. Now, interestingly enough, in a situation like where we have a lot of experience in sleep medicine, which is kind of in the in-between, right? There's a lot of people who have a serious condition, and then there's a lot of people who are just doing it because somebody told them. We're still in almost a 75% engagement rate because if you demonstrate value to the patient in the first several messages, you got them, so to speak. So those are the variables. The urgency of the situation is probably the highest. So let's talk about your future, if you're allowed to discuss any of this. First of all, were you going to HIMSS or was anyone from the company going to be at HIMSS? Did you guys have a booth planned? Yes, we, yes, we, we do. Um, yes. So that's, I mean, that's got to hurt not being able to, I mean, I'm yeah. sure you're not getting back your hotel fee either because I didn't get mine back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah. was there anything exciting that Twistle was going to announce or is there something in the future that we could be excited about as CMIO saying, yeah, that's technology we really want to have? Yeah. Interestingly enough, having such a configurable kind of agnostic, if I could say, platform, we, we just got hit with millions of different ideas from millions of people. And, and interestingly enough, in the last year, we just decided to focus. <laughs> so what's new at Twistle right today is we are going to double down big time in what we're already pretty good at, but we need to expand. And that is really getting standardizing and optimizing and creating best practice around this type of messaging with patients over the whole clinical spectrum. So that's actually what I'm focused on immediately. And that's what we're going to send out because what we've now learned is, is a really a thirst, particularly during COVID, it's really a thirst for just tell me how to do it, doc. We don't want to try to figure this out on our own. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and this does lead to the, the future, is we have a wealth of data and we're in the process of trying to organize it. What's the best way to talk to a patient? When's the best time to talk to a patient? How do you get a patient to engage in a digital platform, right? These are the challenges we're all facing. And we have a lot of information about it. And what we're trying to do is set up systems that collect that data in a way that can be analyzed to answer some of those questions. And that, of course, sets you up for the, the big one. And that's going from rules-based logic to uh, machine learning logic. Our founders are, are machine learning experts at their heart, so they, they get that space. Because what you want to be able to do is what you and I would do as a clinician, ask a patient a question, depending on their response, change what you said to them next, right? I mean, that's the personalization of healthcare. Do people like humor or not humor? Do they want less information, more information? 
And if we could modify our communication with patients, that's where we get into the final step of all this. And that is how do we change behavior by leveraging technology, right? How do we nudge people to do the right thing over time? And that can only be done by all those little nuances. So I I would say those are where we're heading. We're a a young company, uh, fortunately just funded and just need to get bigger and better at what, what our core is now. All right, let's do a wrap up question here. You've been in healthcare for a long time. You've seen a lot of changes. So what advice would you give CMIOs as it relates to finding new technologies that are going to help their health systems? Yeah, that's such a great question. As you know, there are early adopters and it's easy to get a whole bunch of people on board. And then there's the laggards and then there's the passive resistors. I think so much of it is about just change management down at those um, levels. I think it's about translating what super experts like you know about the capacity and ability of technology to help them into language they understand. I'm a big fan of using the kind of technologies you guys would bring out. But I used to say, everybody wants one more click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every middle ed manager in the hospital says, it's just one more click, doctor. Okay, I see 35 patients a day. One more click for every one of you means literally minutes a day. So it has, we have to deliver on the promise that it improves our workflows. It, it just, we have to deliver on that. And there are solutions that do that but so many of them are just not where they need to be. Yet we have to get them out there. We have to work with them, et cetera. And my only other, two other kind of very practical things that I've realized is I've noticed that in the institutions I've worked, the, the CMIOs and themselves with people who speak their same language and they come up with a great idea and then want to kind of move it out. I think you got to bring in the, the, the other end of the spectrum earlier into the process and bring them along help them be part of the process of decision-making. The second thing is you can't skimp on local IT support. What do I mean by that? I ran a huge sleep center. I had one guy all to myself and my staff who could solve any IT problem within minutes by himself, which meant you had a computer go down in the middle of a visit or something. He was there. It got fixed immediately. So it became more seamless. Many of my colleagues throughout the institution, we were short of that kind of local help. That's, uh, I, I think we need more resources around the local groups of providers who are at the bedside or in the clinic room to, to support. And I think those the implementations go faster, smoother, and et cetera. So for what that's worth from a non-CMIO, those are some of my observations. Love it. Awesome. Bill, thank you for doing this. I know time is precious in the middle of a COVID crisis here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great information, very practical, very tactical stuff we could deploy right now. Thanks, Mark. It's been a, been a pleasure. And again, thanks to all of you who are working so hard out there. I really appreciate it. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Thank you.